Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. If you're listening to us via podcast, we just want to say thank you for joining us as we begin this brand new series called Five Smooth Stones and just pray that this would help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Amen? Well, it's really a story about a shepherd boy named David and a mighty, well, you would say even a type of a gladiator, a warrior champion, giant named Goliath. And I know that as we look at the story, so many times we think that the biggest point to the whole story is that God is bigger than my giants. And I think that would just be way too simplistic. There is so much more that we need to journey through to find out what God wants us to see in this incredible story, as in our life journal, and we just gone through it just a little while ago. So as we kick off this series first, we need to really learn about this larger-than-life Philistine, Goliath. So go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll start at verse 1. And by the way, through the next few weeks, we're going to be going through this whole chapter of chapter 17. But it starts off with, The Philistine now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sokah in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damin. I think that's how you say it. Verse 2, Saul countered by gathering the Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines, the Israelites, face each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. So let me try to draw a picture here. So if you have a big mountain on the right or on, on your right and a big valley on your left, and down in the low, low between them is this low valley. That's kind of like where they're going to have the, the big, uh, well, the, the big bout. So you have way up here on top of that mountain ridge are all the Philistines. And they're ugly. I mean, they're worse than ugly. They're ugly. And then over here on this side, you have all of the Hebrews, all the Israelite army. And they all come out every single morning facing off and pointing at each other and calling each other names. But what's really going on is that the Philistines say, hey, we have, we've had enough of this. We, we don't want all this bloodshed. We'll bring out one of our guys. You bring out one of your guys. And whoever wins, guess what? Those will be the slaves for the winners. All right? So nobody has to kill everybody. I'm trying to be politically sharp here, right? Well, let's go on here. Verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Some scholars say about nine feet, six inches or nine feet, nine inches. I'm just telling you, this dude was tall. He wore a bronze helmet. Now, this next part's very, very, very important. We're going to find out how much this weighs and how big was this and how. The, why is that important? This ain't no fairy tale. We have specifics that represent the reality of the individual named Goliath. And they want us to see it, so they put the detail in writing so it wouldn't be considered a fairy tale. 
Verse 5, he wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail. That's that, you know, like um, all the little rings that would go on like a big shirt. That's called mail. And so all of that coat of mail, it weighed 125 pounds. Can you imagine walking around without a backpack, just your sweatshirt weighed 125 pounds? He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as a, as thick as a weaver's beam. That's like this. Tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. So then you add the wood, you're, you're probably over 30 pounds. And he's throwing something with accuracy over 30 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. We'll get into that next week. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. And this is what he said. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called on the Phil, I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. I'll bring that back up again a little bit later. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Verse 10. Check this out. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now just spend a moment trying, trying to picture Goliath. So this doorway here is it's under six, it's under seven feet. All right? Somewhere around in here, someplace is seven feet. All right? So if this is about 6'8", you're about right here to get to 7 feet, just under that sign of where it says exit. So now you got to go another 2 feet to get to him. I looked it up. Scholars believed that guy at about 9'6", 9'9", weighed 580 pounds in good shape. 580 pounds. And that's being lean as a warrior. Are you beginning to picture the mass of what that... Have you ever seen a, a basketball player, NBA, seven feet tall? Have you ever seen a person seven feet tall? You never forget it. I'm telling you. And how wide their shoulders are and how big and thick the girth around their chest... They're massive, and, and, and you're, it's just shocking to see something that large. Now add two more feet. That's only at seven feet. Add two more feet. Add actually two and a half more feet. That's how big this guy is. Now, would you possibly be scared if you're an Israelite? I mean, it's reasonable why they're upset. So, to, so today, I want to see if we can learn something from the challenger Goliath regarding the enemy and the giants that are in our life today. 
The Bible says the evil one, now it's not in your notes, but he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We must be aware of who our challenger, who our enemy is. We must know what they sound like. We must know the tactic, the the strategy of our enemy. So the first thing we see about Goliath is that the enemy of our soul will ask harassing questions. Did you notice Goliath asked the Israelites when we read the text, why are you coming out to fight? I mean, how do you answer that question? How do you say yes? How do you say no? You see, There are many attributes that you could probably name just off of Goliath's questions. You can say, he's arrogant, he's this, he's that. But here's the one I want us to really focus on. And that is the word that comes to mind. That word is doubt. And doubt is an age-old tactic used by the evil one in our lives even today. Have you ever struggled with doubt? Let's be honest, we all have. It is a natural tendency, or shall I say, we all face the temptation to doubt from time to time. We're not immune to doubt. We saw it with the disciples. We saw it with Peter. Oh, if you little faith, why did you doubt? And this thing about doubt, it goes all the way back to the garden. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Here, let's read it, verse 1, where it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he, meaning the serpent, asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Here the evil one is asking a simple question that begins to generate, begins to cause doubt. He's saying, hey, can you really trust God? Don't you know there's a little secret about God? Don't you know God might be fibbing? He doesn't want you to know something for your benefit? Doubt, doubt, doubt. Therefore, we need to guard ourselves against questions that we might be confronted with by the enemy of our soul. In the case of Goliath, can't you just see the Israelites and how they would just be dropping their heads? And they would hear him say, why are you guys coming out here to fight? Seriously. And you could just see them drop their heads and saying, you know, Goliath really is right. I mean, we're wasting our time. We're all dead men. Anybody who's going to go out, it's over. We are wasting our time. Might as well admit it, we're all going to be slaves. Come on, family, let's all go. We're going to be slaves together. You can just see it. And you know, in their assumption, every single Israelite was actually correct. Because in their own power, in their own might, they had nothing to compete against the giant. However, there would soon be a warrior, a shepherd boy, who would roll into town, so to say, and he would say, oh, I'll take him on because I'm not taking him on by myself. 
I move in the power and the might of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That is an uncircumcised Philistines. And my God. And my God. Right? He knew. He didn't, he didn't see things through the lens of doubt. He saw things through the lens of faith. Let me tell you something. If you try to do things in life all by yourself, in your own might, in your own power, I can actually guarantee you, you will fail. Marriages will fail. Parenting will fail. Careers will fail. Finances will fail. Everything. Well, maybe not right away. But it will. That's why God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He's got to be first. It has to be faith first. When we receive those challenging questions from the enemy of our soul, we need to know how to respond. And I think Joshua does a wonderful job on this. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. And this is what he says. He says, this is my command. And this is, these are the words of the Lord speaking to Joshua. Let me give you a little backstory so you better understand what is happening, why the Lord would say this to Joshua. You find out at the top of the, of the chapter that Moses is now dead. And Joshua has now been, in, has been charged with becoming the new Moses. And God repeatedly through this whole chapter at least three times tells him to be strong and courageous. Okay? So he's telling them, here's what's going on. I'm going to send you and everybody of the Hebrews, all the Israelites, you guys are all going to go to the promised land and you're going to win it. You're going to go get it. So this is what he says. Everything I promised Moses, I'll promise to you. Just obey. And this is what else he says. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Wow. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Do you know that when we get afraid and when I get discouraged, when you get discouraged, we are breaking that which God told us that I am actually sinning and so are you? Did you know that? He says, be strong and courageous. So for me to be weak and cowardly is to violate the word of God. Then he says, for the Lord your God, he, and he, he, he explains why he tells Joshua not to be afraid and discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a wonderful promise. It's interesting enough, right after Goliath asked the question to the Israelite army, he makes this profound statement. Remember, he, remember when we just read, he said, I am the Philistine champion. Right? He brags about himself. And what does he say about them? You're only servants of Saul. You are only servants of Saul. See, the enemy of your soul will do whatever he can to make sure that you are not connected to the Lord God Almighty. As Joshua, wherever you go, I will be with you. No, no, he says, you're the servants of Saul. He will connect you to a man. He will connect you to a political party. He will connect you to a horoscope. He will connect you to anything and everything except God. 
Do you see the ploy of the enemy? Instead of saying, as David would say, you you uncircumcised Philistine. He connected in faith to God. The Israelite army was connected to the natural. They were connected to that which had no power, that which had no might, that which had no covenant, that which had no power. See, this is part of the ploy of the enemy who will attempt to condemn you and mock you. You know what I mean. You don't have this skill set. You don't have that. You don't have that education. You don't have this. You've made those mistakes in your past. You made that mistake in your past. You've been divorced, remarried, divorced, married. I mean, the list just goes on and on. To try to what? Condemn you. That's the enemy of your soul. That's not the words of the Father. That's not how the Lord looks at you. That's not how the Lord believes about you. Condemnation is not how you hear the voice of God. It's how you hear the voice of the enemy of your soul. So what do we got to do that? Shut it off. We do what, what Jesus says. The word of God says. And the word of God says. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Now, now when you see the word B-U-T, but it's a big word, especially in scriptures, because it's giving you a comparison. It's giving you this is what, what it, this view over here versus this view over there. So even when you look to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, it starts off with the very first word. Say it with me. Ready, begin. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The word but is pointing to a reality of before and after. Are you catching that? Before, there was no Holy Spirit operating within my life. But because of the blood of the cross and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon me. I'm filled. I'm baptized by the Holy Ghost. I didn't have that power. But now I'm filled with power, dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. And I go because of the word but. I went from before to after. It's powerful. Goliath, in this text, he's seeking to elevate himself while demeaning and deluding who the Israelites are. He's trying to say, I'm a champion. It's champion versus servants, not warriors. Do you see how the enemy of your soul speaks to you? He wants you to see you, yourself, like you're meaningless, you have no value, you have no skill. You have no influence. And that's a lie. I said, that is a lie. So let's look at some of the strengths, though. This is how he's trying to do it. You look at the strength of Goliath, physical stature, you go, well, he's got a serious height advantage. And he has power and he has strength. He has a much longer stepping range. That's a big deal, especially if you're in boxing. 
Somebody like LaDon, he loves boxing. He would know if you have a much longer arm range and you have a much longer stepping range, you can fight in a way the opponent can. That's a big advantage. And we also know he's been trained from his youth to be a warrior, to be a gladiator, to be a champion. He's been doing this for ages. And he's battle-hardened. This isn't his first gig. And man, is he big. Remember? 580 pounds. Nine and a half feet tall. So let's look at the strengths of the Israelites. It won't take long. They might be battle-hardened. That's it. They're not tall. They don't have no reach. They probably don't run real fast compared to a guy who's got a javelin the size that he has. Right? So, obviously, Israel does not have the physical advantage that Goliath has. So, in the natural, it's over for them. Goliath has all the advantage. Have you ever felt that way in life? That all the odds are against you. Everything seems to be against you. And then those who are against you, like Goliath, just incredibly arrogant about it. No sympathy, no empathy. However, there's an important statement we don't want to miss in this this little interaction here. Because it shows us a key tactic of the evil one. In how he operates in our life even today. Goliath, when he was speaking about the Israelites, he says, And you are the servants of Saul. This is big. We don't want to miss this. Satan will do whatever it takes to associate you with anything else but God. I said this early, but I really want to make this an emphasis. Do you catch that part? The enemy wants you to be associated with anything else but truly being all in as a believer of Christ. I, I've, I can be associated to my education. I can be associated to my special training. I can be associated to my relationship. I can be associated to my wealth. I can be associated to my big family. I can be associated. I can be associated. Anything and everything but Christ. How many know that all those things just aren't enough? They'll let you down at some point, even if they don't mean to. And that's what he's doing here. Goliath, you're the servants of Saul. See, there's a difference between the Israelite army and David, the shepherd boy. And we'll get into that next week. Because the the, the key difference between the Israelites and David is the perspective David has when he looks at the situation and hears the same kind of, you know, ridiculous statements coming out of the giant. He doesn't see it the way the Israelites see it. He just hears it differently. I got to be honest with you. I've been stuck here. I've heard things, you know, been gone through some hard times, tough times. Have you? Has anybody in this room ever gone through hard times and tough times? And it's easy to come up with some really dark, 
imagery and messaging. And before you know it, you're looking at the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, and you just begin to think really weird stuff. And you're down. And you begin to lose courage and strength. And begin to believe the lies of the enemy of your soul. You're not what it takes. You are the problem. Oh, I could get real sensitive here, couldn't I? It's always your fault. What are we saying? The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Remember, I shared this just a few weeks ago, that what I think determines what I will believe and what I believe will determine what I will actually do. And so if I begin to listen to these ridiculous things of the enemy of my soul, I will eventually begin to believe it. And because I believe it, I will act like it. Self-fulfilling prophecy. All generated because I didn't put on the mind of Christ. David knew how to do that. The Israelites didn't. How about you? How are you doing with what do you think? What are you believing? What are you acting out on because of what you believe, because of what you were thinking? See, unfortunately, the Israelites clearly had it wrong. Let's look at, and it's not in your notes because we've already read it, but it said in verse 11, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, heard the dissertation coming out of the giant, they were terrified and they were deeply shaken. Nobody raised your hand, but how many have ever known what it's like to be terrified and deeply shaken because of circumstances and situations in your life? We get it, don't we? See, the final thing we must realize this morning about the evil one is, is the overall tactics is that the enemy of our soul will attempt to strike fear into your heart. We already talk about how the devil wants to distract people like you and me from God. And one of the most prominent tactics is by using really trippy questions that will cause there to be doubts and, and condemning and mocking words that will bring about fear. Fear will often try to keep us from stepping out into faith. I'm so fearful, I'm not going out of the boat. Remember, there were 11 other guys who were still in the boat when Peter got out. Why? They would say they were being rational. Hey, I don't know about you, but if I saw Peter getting out there, I'm going, hey, grab my hand too, Peter. Hold on. I'm going for it. I might have a rope tied to me as well so they could pull me back in. Yeah, see? See how the doubt and the fear comes in? Let's look at that story. Let's look at Matthew chapter 14, start at verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. 
I don't know about you, but the very first time I ever read that, years and years ago, I was a teenager, I'm like, what did I just read? Is that a fairy tale? No. I mean, if you're God, you, you can tell water to act like concrete, and you can walk on it. You're the creator of the universe. You can tell anything of the universe to do whatever you want it to do. So here's Jesus walking upon the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out like all of us probably would. But then they said, it's a ghost. Why? Because that ain't normal. That looks supernatural. But Jesus spoke to them at once, immediately. Why? He saw fear coming. And as, as the rabbi, as Jesus, who would soon be the Lamb of God, he loves them, didn't want them to be confused. And look what he says. Don't be afraid. Guys, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, can I play too? Well, that's not exactly what he said. Actually, he said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I love how Peter's so specific. He's not saying, you know, let me get in the little dinghy and row over to you. He says, tell me to come to you walking on the water. You know, here's Peter taking an action step in faith. And there are four crucial words spoken by Jesus prior to, to Peter taking his first step. And they all heard it, not just Peter. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Is that something like what we read in Joshua 1.9? Be strong and courageous and do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Wow. And Peter seemed to have the confidence he, he needed to have. So while well, he's listening to the word of the Lord and he was, he was now truly trusting in Jesus, he literally begins to crawl out of the boat. And then he gets his eyes on the Lord and he's, he's walking. And he's doing great. And then all of a sudden he started to hear something. The big wind. And then he started to see something. The big waves. And he took his eyes off of the Lord. What does that mean? It meant he was no longer trusting the Lord because he was no longer looking at the Lord. And when you fight doubt and condemnation and when you are fighting fear, the question is, is who are you looking at? Where are your eyes focused on? The other question is, who are you listening to? What voices are you listening to? The Word of God shows us consistently what God's voice 
actually sounds like, what it's actually saying. And how do we know that? Because if I ever read a book by James Dobson, who wrote that book? James Dobson. I'm hearing his voice in print. Or how about John Bevere? Or how about Billy Graham? And the list could go on, couldn't it? Beth Moore. Who's talking to me when I read that book? The author of that book. Who is the ultimate author of the 66 books of the Bible? God. You want to know the voice of God? Read His Word. Life journal. Study it. The Word of God. It gives us the power to fight against the enemy of our soul. Just as Jesus did when he was out there in the desert fighting against the enemy, the devil. So I want you to consider this week, how are you relying on your own strength and your own resolve versus relying on the king and on the word of God? Where are you at with that? How about those things that you thought, well, I, I, I've got this by myself. I really got this. And you know you haven't prayed about it, and it's an issue. I want to challenge you to pray. I want to challenge you to stop listening to the voice of the enemy, thinking, you know, like a preschooler, I do it myself. You know what I'm saying? Anybody got that? Remember the preschooler? I do it myself. I want you to try to recognize the ungodly voice of doubt. I want you to try to recognize the ungodly voice of condemnation, the ungodly voice of fear, of worry. Remember, whether it's doubt or condemnation or mocking or fear or worry, those words will never get you to hear the voice of God, but they will get you to hear the voice of the enemy of your soul. Did you catch that? So this is why life journaling and spent and life journal with somebody else. Men, come out to life journal. Come and be a part of that. Life journal with a friend. Life journal with a spouse. But all of a sudden, when you begin to share your heart and their heart, the, the word of God says is iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens another man. Meaning every time we share, male or female, we are sharpening our soul in the word of God. You were never meant to fight any battle in your life alone. David did not fight Goliath alone. He fought him with the power of God. And we are to do the same. So, Father, I pray, Lord, for your people. I pray, Lord, we all have a, a giant or two in our life. Sometimes there's a giant that wants to just come from the past, way deep back in the past. Just won't let go. Just mean and ugly. Mocking and condemning and asking questions and challenging our rights and who we are in Christ. And then, Lord, those things of those giants of the present. Oh, God, how they come out of nowhere, it seems. Demand and demand, and again, cause worry and fear and doubt and condemnation. And because of that, Lord, we can face a giant of the future, the giant of dread, 
We become fearful of the unknown future. But Lord, you said you are the way and the truth and the life. And you say that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You will not change. So may we have our faith in you for our past. May we have our faith in you for our present now. And may we have our faith in you for our future. That no matter what giant we face, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. God bless your people. Help us, Lord, that we're not moved by what we see. David wasn't moved by a nine and a half foot tall giant who wanted to kill him and feed him to the birds. He just looked at it as, look at that big, massive, ugly thing. That is a target nobody can miss with the power of God. Oh, God, bless your people. Bless your people. And help us to rest in your love that says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will not mistreat you. And I have a hope and I have a future for you. Oh, child of God, rest in me. Trust in me. Walk in faith in me. And greater things you could ever imagine because you trust in me. Bless your church, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.